0: At Snarky Faith, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another
1: round of Snarky Faith. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney, and Snarky Faith is radio for the spiritually disenfranchised. If you've had enough of the insanity in Christianity... Well, you've come to the right place. Here at Snarky Faith, we're all about finding a sane faith grounded in reality and working to make the world a better place in tangible ways. We're here to call out religious BS, look for better ways forward, and help you realize that no, you're not crazy. This religious stuff is completely messed up. So if you can handle your conversations about faith with copious amounts of... Sarcasm. And also a bit of this then welcome home. We're glad you're here. On today's show, we're going to be talking about emptiness. But before we descend into this snark, just a reminder that this broadcast and all past podcasts can be found at snarkyfaith.com and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Amazon, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube. We're there. We're everywhere. Just look for Snarky Faith. And if you want to interact more with our show, you can find the Snarky Faith page on Facebook. You can drop me a line at Stuart at SnarkyFaith.com. That's S-T-U-A-R-T at SnarkyFaith.com. And if you want to leave a message, you can actually record it on our website, SnarkyFaith.com. As we start the show, I want to bring up a couple little things, a bit of housekeeping for my life and for the show here. So First thing, first things first, before we hop into all this stuff, what I wanted to tell you is this. If you think you're having a bad week, you're not, because you're not the guy that bought what appeared to be Tom Brady's last touchdown pass. The football, the football was auctioned off for $518,000. And on that same day, just a few hours later, Tom Brady announced that he was coming out of retirement. Oof, oof, that guy's having a rough day. That guy's having a very rough day. So whatever's happening this week, whatever is affecting and bothering you, at least you're not that guy, right? Right? That's at least something you can tell yourself in the mirror i'm at least not that guy now secondly something i wanted to share with you was a story that i just found highly amusing and maybe it's only amusing to me and you be the judge of it so this we for the past week we had had our daughter came home from school for spring break yay it was lovely having her back from emory for the week and i was taking her back to the airport early 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 on sunday morning As I'm driving home, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Snarky Faith rebroadcasts on Sunday morning. We have a Sunday morning slot on the radio station. You know what is on right before our show? They have an entire hour of gospel and worship music leading in to Snarky Faith. I don't know about you, but I find that kind of funny. I find that hilarious. Nothing wrong with gospel music. I just think that that's quite a unique pairing. Kind of like fine wine and spam. Maybe I'm the spam here. That's probably true. That probably checks out here. Okay. And lastly, the thing I just wanted to mention as we're starting the show today is that I'd gotten a letter from a listener, which I really, really appreciate. Uh, A couple weeks back when I was talking about what was happening in Ukraine, he had called out this vocal tick that somehow I just was doing the entire time. I kept referring to it as the Ukraine. And uh, this gentleman lovingly told me that that is not how you refer to it, that it is referred only to as Ukraine. And the Ukraine is the way that Putin has always referred to it like it's not a country. So, hey, Ukraine, my apologies. My apologies. You've got enough on your plate right now. And speaking of that, I wanted to kick off our conversation today. And aptly, this this is a devotion that was written for Lent or it's an excerpt of it from Brian Zahn. And I feel like that's a good place for us to kind of let this ruminate in our soul as we watch the hell of war happening in the world around us. Now, it begins like this. He's quoting Luke 13, 1 through 5. and it says like this. At that very time, there was some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, that they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed in the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all of the others in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Now, this picks up with Brian Zahn, where he says this, one of the themes of Jesus's prophetic ministry that becomes more and more prominent the closer he gets to Jerusalem is his dire warning about the impending fate of Jerusalem. In our gospel reading for this Sunday, Jesus is informed about some Galilean pilgrims who were probably involved in a political uprising against the Roman occupation and were subsequently put to death by Roman soldiers in the temple complex thus mingling their blood with the sacrifices. Jesus' response is to tell them not to imagine that these Galilean victims were worse sinners than any other Galileans. Instead, Jesus says, if they don't rethink their intentions, they will all perish the same way. Jesus then brings up an incident of a recent building collapse in Jerusalem that had resulted in 18 fatalities and comments on it by saying, do you think that they were more blameworthy than all others in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all be destroyed in the same way. So what is Jesus saying? Is he talking about the Galileans and Judeans going to hell? Well, Yes and no. Jesus isn't talking about a post-mortem spiritual hell, but in an impending literal hell. Jesus has been calling Jerusalem into the kingdom of God and the way of peace by the practice of enemy love and radical forgiveness. But... For the most part Jerusalem has rejected the message of peace believing instead that when the time comes God will fight with them in a war of independence and help them attain freedom by killing their enemies. In this response in response to this enormously dangerous holy war assumption Jesus warns Jerusalem against resorting to violence by telling them that if they don't rethink war and peace according to the kingdom of God they're all going to die by Roman swords and collapsing buildings. And this is exactly what happened a generation later. After four years of violent revolution led by a cadre of false messiahs claiming that God was about to give Israel victory over Rome, General Titus and the Roman 10th Legion marched on Jerusalem. And on August 4th, AD 70, after a brutal five-month siege, the Romans launched their final assault. Hell had come to the holy city. Buildings collapsed from the bombardments of the... Uh, catapult stones which were a hundred pound hailstones of the apocalypse the city was set ablaze and hundreds of thousands of jerusalem's citizens were killed by roman swords in the end jerusalem was reduced to a smoldering gehenna the garbage dump where the fires are never quenched and the maggots never die this is when jerusalem went to hell In the 21st century, the devil still tells big lies. and the age of nuclear, chemical, and biological weapons capable of eradicating all human life, the way of war is still foolishly romanticized and deemed a legitimate way to shape the world. But Lent is a time to repent, rethink, reimagine. Today, let us heed the warning of Jesus and remember that there is no way to peace. Peace is the way. And he ends it by saying, Lord Jesus, save us from our diabolical fascination with the ways of war. Help us by the Holy Spirit to imagine creative ways to wage peace. Amen. I felt like that was as good of a place as any to begin a show that's sarcastic and snarky when the world's on fire. So I I continue to say that our heart goes out. To the people of ukraine and we're praying for this madness to end soon so i know that in the best of times we like to roast christianity and and but we can assume carefully assume that in the worst of times especially what's what's happening with the inc- with the incursion in ukraine I hope that Christianity is rising to the occasion, isn't it? And not being a bunch of, mm, self-serving assholes. Q TikTok. Ukraine, lift up your eyes, even in the pain, to the mountainside. Nope, not having that. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Let's 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 take let's do take two. Let's take two. This this comes from experience and reason over on patheos.com by Chris A. Long. Oh, good lord, I'm gonna butcher his name. Longobardo? Okay, sure, yes. Who writes, This is a very scary time for non-believers. <gasps> oh no! And Chris puts it like this. Right now, people believe they are witnessing the signs of the end of the world. This is a very scary time for (laughs) non-believers. Really? I'll continue. For a long time, non-believers have been talking about what they believe and that the end of the world frightens them. The end of the world would frighten anyone without faith. This is why we have to watch what we say. Ooh, yes. So, yeah, we're turning what's happening in Ukraine into a evangelistic push. So what Chrissy Boyd here does, thread the needle all the way through. He brings us home in his article talking about what we should really be concerned with, what we should really be concerned with in in this. What is the real war? Oh, I'll tell you. The war the individual should be concerned with is our passions. One, lust for food, drink, and sex. Two, being a control freak. And three, addiction to pleasure. Wouldn't that just be number one? I don't know. Okay, he continues. Those are the passions of the sinner. You can say God and religion plays no part in those passions. I say Creation and consciousness is the reason you can't deny the existence of lust, control, and pleasure being vices slash problems slash bad habits we all deal with. This is why I recommend we deal with this in ourselves first. Oh, horse shit. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I've got to be the guy that says this. Jesus is not the answer for everything. Oh, our entire apartment complex was bombed to the ground as in rubble. Grandma's somewhere in the rubble. Jesus will fix it somehow. No, 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 no. Here's, here's one big thing that I have a problem with a lot of Christianity, trying to find that, that everything has a purpose. Guess what? Everything doesn't have a purpose. It doesn't. Now it doesn't mean you can't learn and gain something from it, but no, everything does not have a purpose. Oh, God's purpose for for the people living in Ukraine is what? No, this is this is madness. This is craziness. This is this is so stupid that we try to be able to find fake comfort in times of horror and war and death and destruction. Sometimes we just need to be able to say,
2: yeah, maybe
1: Putin has some mommy issues and therapy would do great for him. I don't deny that. But again, looking inward to how our own war is, is being battled. We have our own Putin coming in and having an incursion in our bodies and we need to control all of our sit. Oh, 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 I just hate it when people try to find meaning in places they don't need to go trying to find meaning. Good try. Good try. Good try. But guess what? It's only going to get worse from here. I know. I know. I do this to you guys every week because it's that time to talk about the choices cuts of Christian nuts. That's right. The best of the worst. The Christian
0: crazy of the week. If loving the Lord is wrong, I don't want to be right. Lord, have mercy. The Lord is my shepherd. He knows what I want. So,
1: wasting no time in making what is happening in Ukraine about ourselves, wasting no time in getting the grift down is OG grifter John Hagee. And, you know, John Hagee is going to tell you what he's going to do, how much it's going to cost. But he's not going to tell you how he's going to do it. So, huh? sounds, sounds, sounds like John is wanting to take some suckers
0: to the cleaners. At this moment, over 8,000 Jewish people are wanting to leave Ukraine for Israel. I repeat that. 8,000 want to leave the Ukraine for Israel. We must raise $20 million as soon as possible to get them to safety. We don't know when the borders will close. Let's unite our efforts and raise $20 million by the end of business this week. You can save one life for $2,650. The Torah says, he who saves one life saves the world 100 percent of funds raised will go directly to saving ukrainian jews
1: so many questions that i know i'll never get answers for but the ones that pop in my head are like oh okay so you're gonna go over there and say that we're saving people but only jewish people not being anti-semitic with this i'm just saying it's just a weird kind of flex that he's got going on here To we're like oh you Oh, you're not a Jew? Ah, screw it. No, no, our ministry is only paying to take Jews. And where would you like to go? Oh, yeah, we only take you, we only take you to Israel. That is the only way we are going to do this. That, I I think this is one of those situations I see in ministry a lot. Trying to solve problems without asking what people want? Yeah, yeah. He needs 20 million, 20 million by the
2: end of Of business this week Give people Give people And I guarantee you Very little of anything is gonna go To Jews In Ukraine You gotta tip your
1: hat to the OG there Man, making this situation About making money Woo! That's why That's why John Hagee has sustained himself He's sustained himself (laughs) on the money of others forever. And not really having much to show for this for the kingdom of God, but that's that's not surprising, right? That's not surprising with all these fools that we talk about week after week because we've got several other fools that are looking at this situation that is happening and getting the Christian horny over the fact that they can start spinning end times crap about this. Anytime something's going on, an incursion over there, end time! because it sells so so let's go ahead let's let's look to some level-headed assessments of what is happening over there first up Hank kuniman you know it's gonna be good you know it's gonna be good because hank knows how to
3: shine some shit. so i want to talk a little bit about some things Brenda, that i think is important in the prophetic uh, about where we're at but before i do i just want to say this to those of you that are watching because again we don't always know who our audience is and i do know that i probably have some dear friends in ukraine i've been to ukraine several times i've had the honor of ministering there in the ukraine uh, I love the people of Ukraine. You are very, very precious. So when we say Ukraine, we certainly aren't talking about you, the precious Ukrainians. We're talking about the corrupt government that you know you have in Ukraine. That I actually had to deal with one time at a meeting where they showed up with their guns. Uh, they had been advertising the different meeting places that I was coming in to bring signs and wonders, and they, the the the, the government showed up and they had uh, they had uh, guns and. And I asked the translator why they're there. And they said, because uh, if you don't do what has been advertised, signs, wonders, and miracles, they're going to arrest you. I said, oh, great. Uh, no pressure. God, I need you to do something beyond a, a headache.
4: problem. <laughs> and
3: uh, that was a great service, though. People got out of wheelchairs and blind eyes were open. And tumors literally were falling off of people. And
1: I'm sorry, what
4: was
3: that? Tumors literally were falling off of people. and
1: So tumors were falling off of people. I'm just like so, so, so curious because most of the people that I've known that have had cancer and had issues with tumors, they were inside the body, so I don't know how... That just sounds gross. That just sounds gross. But honestly, I like how he's trying to prove to us that, oh, the people, the people in Ukraine, they're fine. The government, bad, because me likey Putin, right? So the government that's corrupt shows up to make sure a grifter that's also corrupt is doing what he says he's advertising that he is supposed to do, and then tumors fall off. So many things about this. It's so beautiful. It's so, you know all of this is a lie, right? You know he's just making this stuff up. That's, that's what he does. And he has to make it all about himself, right? This isn't about what's happening over there. It's about, oh, me, my experiences with this uh-huh uh-huh yeah yeah this is crazy jesus now you want to see it get worse you want to see it get more crazy you want to see it more about how putin's right johnny Enlow?
4: you're an idiot tell us what you have to think this is a guy and i literally listened to his video years ago speaking of putin where he said the world is run the entire world is run by Lucifer- Luciferian pedophile. Really? And I am the only one fighting the Antichrist. This was before Trump. He literally has thought himself for years as being the only one fighting the Antichrist and that he has seen what's what's going on. It's with the, the Clinton family, the Obama family, the Biden family enmeshed to unbelievable degrees. And you'll see Nancy Pelosi Again, like I said, her son been involved in uh, and presently on the board of major things there. There has been money laundering that's taking place, human trafficking. It ties into all the worst of the worst that any of you have been hearing about over the last couple of years. And this base of operations, it, this is kind of a surprise we're hearing how it just like it's not just that it was marginally bad, but really epicenter for even future plans of of this global domination through the new world order, which to remind those of you who have never heard anything about it, it's 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 be- the, the end game you wanna know about is depopulation of planet earth by 90%, where there is, you know, their ideal is really 500 million, very obedient transhumanist people that they've had enough vaccines, vaccines and upgrades and combined with the 5G where they have, they're They're really semi robots, and they are there at the service of these elite illuminatis uh that run run the planet and If you think that sounds like hopefully all of you have heard enough now to know this is not uh conspiracy theory, this is conspiracy fact,
1: oh Lord, conspiracy fact that was actually quite a roller coaster of words put together within it was like conspiracy it was like a russian doll of conspiracy neet, 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 and putin's at the middle he's fighting the antichrist right this is all good what's happening cuz huh because the what the new world order uh is wanting to depopulate us kind of thanos style through vaccines and because we've been vaccinated that we are dehumanized, and essentially robots for the New World Order. That's so funny! <laughs> That's so ridiculous! Bleep blorp! Bleep blorp! I am
2: controlled!
1: No. No. Th- th- this is just beyond nonsense. And I love how that he has to like end it by being like, come on, you guys have heard enough now to know that this is a thing. You've heard enough now to know that Johnny Enlow is a thing. He's certainly a thing. And speaking of dehumanizing people, like I don't know what is going on in this man's supposed grifter prophetic brain here, but it just kind of keeps talking and talking and and there's actually somebody else that's kind of on that same wavelength of nonsense. So hey, Kent Christmas, give us your take on how things are going in the world today and Hey, buddy, make sure you pepper it in with stories that sound historically true, but are not. (laughs) Uh huh. Yeah, I know you can do it. Go for it, big guy. Years ago,
3: there was a man that got up in Congress and he began to attack the word of the Lord. This is historically correct. He was arrested. It went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court found him guilty and said, when you attack the Word of God, you're attacking Christianity. And when you attack Christianity, you're attacking Jesus Christ, who is the foundation of our nation. And they put him in prison or in jail. For three months
1: how sad is your ministry when you have to go start making up stories about stuff to make people somehow feel like that that happy triggered thoughts in church you know those those thoughts are like oh yes I'm right and that man was bad and it's in history so our persecution as Christians continues except it didn't happen. None of this is true. None of this is true. The closest thing that folks on the internet could find to this was some man back in the 1800s that was arrested in a municipality of New York got in trouble for blaspheming the name of the Lord. <gasps> oh no, oh no! Which kind of feeds into like my bigger idea If your God needs defending, is your God really a
2: God in that way?
1: So I know there's this whole thing within folks in his faith stream that this idea that somehow it's the end of the world, we're under persecution, and it's our job to be a-holes for Jesus because that's who we are, and our country was founded on Christianity which it wasn't, but we like to keep that idea going. And no one keeps an idea, even an idea, that barely even registers as a thought. No one can keep one of those things going like Robin Bollocks. I know it's Robin Bullock, but, you know, I think we just got to call it like we see it. Robin Bollocks! So, Robin tell us about the constitution and just a warning just like christmas
0: this dude delivers on talking about stuff that isn't true we are the only constitution in history of any nation that has never changed others have had multiple constitutions they've had multiple overthrows but not this nation it's because this nation's constitution was written from the word of God. It was written on the Bible's foundations. Everything about it, we get our three branches of government from the Bible. We get everything we know from the scripture. We get the separation of powers from the scripture. We get everything you know of in our, in our constitution from the scripture. And it was, it was laid that way on purpose.
1: Oh, it was laid that way on purpose. Our Constitution, based strictly on the Bible, is exactly the same it's ever been, and it's never changed, right? Right? Wait, so our Constitution has never changed. It's never changed because it's based on the Bible. Why do we have amendments? Why do we have many amendments in the Constitution? So an amendment would also instigate that the Constitution has changed and adapted over time. Oh, no! Did all of the amendments, did they come from the Bible too? Why do we have to, like, spiritualize everything? Why do we have to continue to, like, go on these weird nostalgia fests of a time that never existed? I don't really know what gets them off on this, but I think this somehow is a bridge for them to act like,
2: Hey,
1: guess what? I'm a pastor just cause I have a microphone and I'm pretty sure Robin bollocks doesn't have any schooling of any kind. Cause I think words are difficult for Robin Bullock's brain too hard to think, but yeah, but they go and invent these like, uh, what are these like fan fiction versions of the past? This, this kind of sick, like, I, it, I don't know. I don't even know. I don't even know what they're trying to do with this. But they're just trying to say that they're right and they can talk about politics. Or maybe that they're still upset that they prophesize wrong about Trump being in office. I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. So what do you think out there, people? I have no idea why they keep this up. But someone is really taking advantage of this whole opiate of the masses thing. And it keeps going. Because some people are high on crazy crack. Mm. Mm. Love that Christian crack. Well, continuing on to our main conversation piece for the hour, we're going to be delving into emptiness. Emptiness. What is it like for us to live with emptiness? And in this current series, we've been talking through, I've been kind of doing a mashup of two very different books, but they've kind of been decent traveling partners thus far. And hopefully it will continue on in that way. The first book is Spiritual Theology by Diogenes Allen. And the second book is Gifts of the Dark Wood by Eric Elms. And as we, we have been talking in the past, we've been talking about what does it really look like to follow after Christ? Like, what are the nuts and bolts of that? What are some of those things that we begin to experience as we walk down that spiritual journey out into the world? And, and emptiness is one of those traveling partners that we will encounter
2: along the way. And beginning this talk, let's start out with a little roomie who puts it like this. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make sense. And I love how Rumi puts it in this way, this this, this beyond right doing
1: and wrongdoing, we find ourselves in this mysterious
2: space of what it means to be following after Jesus. And pivoting over a bit, um, I want to talk a bit about where we're at with Diogenes Allen
1: in this book Spiritual Theology. And and we've been talking about like what brings us to the position to be able to follow after God. Why, why would we do it? What is the aim? What is the direction? What should matter in all of that? And Diogenes brings us to a place where he is descending into this whole idea of what does it mean to be converted? So we're talking about conversion experiences. And at the same time, in Gifts of the Dark Wood, Eric Elms is talking about this idea of, of being able to grasp on in onto emptiness as being an essential part of where we're at within faith. And and it reminded me of back in my early days when I was first working for a church. First, first first job in ministry. This is ah, good lord, how old am I? I'm probably <laughs> I'm probably at this point around 22, 23 years old, I've been married for a few years and been working and went through a whole period of realizing that life is not what I thought it would be. And really being able to try to figure out well, where am I and where is God and what is happening around it. And eventually through this whole period of trying to figure out who am I in the emptiness, I, I ended up really feeling, I was a person, you know, I've been a Christian for my entire life. I thought I knew what it was to follow after God. And I ended up stepping into a situation where there was a church being planted and we felt called to do it. And part of that church planning process was it, was, it was a good way for me to begin kind of way in the beginning of kind of deconstructing church when I didn't really think I was deconstructing my experiences. But when you step behind the scenes, you begin to go through this and and I, I went and dusted off this book from my attic and i remember this was a it was a it was a small little pamphlet and eh, no, it's not a pamphlet but it's a, it's a it's how many words is in this book i don't know it's probably like a uh like 60 page little workbook that it's called growing christ 13 week follow up course for new and growing christians so we had this and that's what we were supposed to sit down with people and walk through now, the one thing that, that struck me in this as I looked at this book is about how much everything in here is about certainty, right? So I'm just going to flip through some of these real quick. So like chapter one, assurance of salvation. Uh, two, assurance of answer prayer. Assurance of victory, chapter three. Assurance of forgiveness. Assurance of guidance. And and so then it goes through all of this into these these other ideas of what it means to be a Christian. And, and, and it made sense to me back in my context and frame of mind when I was, again, <laughs> a Southern Baptist little a-hole back in the day thinking I was the one out there to save the world and fix everybody because everyone's broken and in need of saving. I have realized how wrong that was. But one of the things that really gets me is, is how much when we talk about things like evangelism and about uh, this whole idea of conversion, how much of these things are based on certainty? How, how many of these things do we completely base on certainty when we tell people what it means to follow Jesus? And, and I found that, that the more certain we are with telling people about following after Jesus, the more erroneous we are. Right now, now think of it like we again, like, oh, you're a dirty, rotten sinner, you're going to hell, and God's the only one that can save you, right? So, we've kind of done this. So, we've said these things that are very, very certain, very, very dramatic. But in all actuality, for folks that get a ways down the road and begin to walk into their faith and hopefully grow in God, I, I think we find places where we're like, no, no, none of this is helpful. This, this, the, all these assurances that you're giving us are not really the way that Jesus laid things out for his followers. Jesus was a lot more ambiguous about what they were going to experience. And when he said the things his followers were going to experience, they usually weren't great. Uh, So he was saying, as hardships in your future, this is a new way to walk things out. It is a better way to be in the world, and it is a way that leads towards healing. But it ain't going to be easy, and it ain't going to be certain. And, and me thinking back of like how much certainty reigned in my brain as a kid, teenager, young adult, as a Christian, and, and how much I struggled in life because that certainty didn't always match up with reality. So again, then you just go back into your mantra phases where you just like recite scriptures, you do this. I mean, I remember, I may have told this before, it's a terrible story, but I find it hilarious. And there was a it was a person I knew that uh an older woman that was the one of like the backbones of a church that we were attending years years ago and and i I knew her son, and so her son's the one that told me this terrible story but it was it was like at a Thanksgiving dinner, and like I guess the uncle at the table literally dies head first wraps into the turkey plate, whatever, right? So they're at dinner, eating dinner, he dies. And, and all this woman can keep saying is, is that God is good, God is good, God is good, God is good. And that was her mantra that she fell into. Like I remember her son being like, I, did my mom go crazy? And I'm just like, ah, she's trying to make life sense within the framework that she's established because of her faith. But in that moment, instead of being able to say this is terrible, his life is over. All she could do was fall into her mantra that God is good. Now, I'm not trying to demean, or yeah, I'm not trying to demean her, or 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 really call her out for that. But at the same time, you begin to see how how inch deep faith is when we have to rely upon these different weird crutches to begin to make us feel
2: better about the way the world is around us instead of actually being present in the situation.
1: So when we talk about this whole idea of like conversion, what are we converting into? What are we joining a part of? It, it, it's probably one of those things that's going to, especially if I said like the word like getting saved, it's probably going to trigger lots of ideas or experiences or feelings or bad memes in your head, right? And, and in this conversation, I don't necessarily want to, I say I don't necessarily want to. Um, but I don't I don't I'm not trying to minimize genuine religious experiences that people have had, but I do want to be able to separate some of those and be able to look at conversion for what it's really meant to be. It's not meant to be something that's <laughs> full of baggage and chick tracks. That's just not what it's supposed to be. And 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 I this comes to me like this comes from a place within me where I've grown up around this. So I've been in the pews to endure n- numerous altar calls, crusades, revivals, all that kind of stuff. And, and at the same time, I'm also the guy that has been behind the microphone that in camps and retreats and Sunday mornings where I've kind of said those words, not kind of said those, I have said those words, every head bowed, every eye closed you know, that, that, that leading us towards that, that sinner's prayer. And, and being a person who's walked around faith for a number of years, I've, I've seen the different sales pitches from different denominations, faith traditions. I mean, each one has its own little special pomp and pageantry to it, but the main idea is the same. And the message goes simply like this, is that mankind is, is God's masterpiece in the entirety of creation but also we're dirty, rotten, little bastards that are flawed and worthless and fated for hell, right? So there's this weird paradox, and man's great. God did great things for us, but sin, right? So as the story goes, don't despair. There's a cosmic loophole in the universe because Jesus, who was God's son, died for our sins, and for that reason, we're inherently less shitty. Thanks, Jesus. And every different faith tradition has a different way of being able to walk people through this process. It could be praying a sinner's prayer, asking Jesus Jesus into your heart. Some have confirmation classes. Some have, like, Alpha. And what we have done is simply made conversion needlessly complicated. And it doesn't really need to be that way. So, like, returning to, like, Diogenes Allen... Alan is simply just saying conversion really just means turning around and embarking on a different path. That's it. Yeah, we've over-spiritualized this. Yeah, it's basically the concept that a person transforms the trajectory of their life. Conversion is kind of like a perspective change in the process of walking out a new way in the world around us. And we've been talking about how Pete Rollins had said that there's a shared understanding that being a Christian involves always becoming a Christian.
2: So the act of becoming is a process, just as conversion is. And
1: I'm not trying to demean people's experiences if people had religious experiences when all of this happened. I'm just trying to specify that conversion is really just a continuing choice. It's nothing more, it's nothing less. And we've mucked this whole thing up with marketing, slash evangelism, spectacle, and scare tactics. We've made this whole process into something that is disingenuous and not really what Jesus talked about. And moving back to the topic of emptiness, that, that one of the things we have to be able to realize is that God isn't grasped by logic or argument. And, and that in this paradox of faith, that we are going to be having to wrestle through times of emptiness and fullness, times of certainty and times of doubt.
2: And one of the things that keeps us stuck where we're at, stuck from moving and growing is
1: fear, because ultimately, fear is what keeps us exactly where we are. Stepping out into the unknown and experiencing emptiness, ooh, that doesn't sound like a fun Saturday afternoon. No,
2: it doesn't. Fear keeps us where we are at. Yet, embracing, embracing this
1: process of picking up what we're doing every day and continuing on leads us to more of an openness. It leads us more towards living out of a flow. And 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 in those times that we need to be able to realize that when we succumb to fear, to staying where we are, to not changing things, to staying where everything is certain, that really what we're doing is is we're not betraying Jesus by saying here we're really just betraying ourselves. Because I know there's a lot of like guilt that we can throw into about faith and how we grow and how we progress, but I, I think that that one of these keys is us being able to accept ourselves as we are, except God's love, that God loves us regardless of who we are, what we've done, where we've been, all these things. So accepting ourselves and accepting that God loves us as we are.
2: Because us being able to, to step into that place is, is a spot of humility. Us being able to say,
1: yeah, I'm, I, I'm not who I want to be. And I'm probably not who God wants me to fully be in this space. But I need to accept who I am. I need to accept my story, what's brought me here, what's kept me alive, what's kept me going, and and begin to look towards something new. Because otherwise, we will just become people that are stuck because of our fears, and because of our baggage, and because of all these other things. And Really what it is, is us really having humility about our weakness, humility about where we're at in the world. It leads us in a certain sense to be able to have love and grace for others around us. It it gets us out of our own stuff and begins to, to realize that I'm broken. Like I deal with anxiety and depression. I do all this. I'm not great. Maybe other people too, like are struggling as well. And it helps us to be able to have a greater empathy for what's happening around us. And and I think us being able to embrace our inherent smallness in the face of the cosmos also is something that should be humbling to us. For us realizing that the world is vast, the world is big, that there are many people in it, there's many things moving
2: around us, and then there's you, and then there's me. And we just popped up in this world, and we're trying to do the best that we can. But part of that, embracing our emptiness, embracing what we don't know, leads us to new experiences and places. And and in that journey,
1: it's not going to be easy. I'm not going to promise you anything. But you're going to learn more about yourself, about who God is, and about what the needs of the world are around us and in our specific communities. And, and I think it's in those places of us being able to embrace reality for what it is, for us being able to embrace shit as it happens, as it is. It's those things that make us and mold us into becoming who we need to be to help make this world a better place. So in regards to emptiness, I want to read to you a bit about Viktor Frankl's life. And this account comes from
2: the book The Tools by Phil Schultz and Barry Michaels. And they ask this question in the book. No. Is it possible,
1: is it even sane, to accept a, a, an event that destroys the fabric of your life? At least one person has had the authority to answer that question. A famous Austrian psychiatrist named Viktor Frankl. His authority didn't come from his credentials. However, it came from experiencing the unthinkable. He was enslaved in four Nazi death camps where his mother, father, brother, and wife were killed. Refusing to give up, he became a camp doctor. In that capacity, he fought to sustain the resilience of prisoners who, like him, had lost everything, including their reason to live, he summarized his response to suffering in his book, The Man's Search for Meaning. His amazing conclusion was that even under indescribably harsh conditions, sleeplessness, starvation, and the ever-present threat of death, there's an opportunity to grow and inner strength. In fact, this was one of the things that the Nazis could not take away from a prisoner. In the camps, the Nazis controlled everything, your possessions, the lives of your loved ones, and ultimately your own life, but the Nazis couldn't strip you of your determination to grow inwardly in whatever time you had left. As bleak and tenuous as life in the death camps was, Frankel asserted, it still presented an opportunity and a challenge. One could make a victory of these experiences, turning
2: life into an inner triumph. Or one could just ignore the challenge and simply vegetate. It was, an ex- it
1: was such an exceptional, exceptionally difficult external situation which gives man the opportunity to grow spiritually beyond himself. His inner spiritual strength at times enables less hardy prisoners to survive the camp better than those who are physically robust. And I, as I said like earlier in the show, that, that oftentimes that we can boil down Christianity into ways that somehow mask or become a balm to our fears of the unknown. And that oftentimes that we, within the faith, try to
2: create these fantasies that everything happens for a purpose. Now, Frankl understood that he could find meaning and purpose in anything.
1: But that's also not that weird kind of
2: salve that we use God to help fill in those empty blank spaces. Everything doesn't Everything doesn't have a purpose, but we can still find meaning in those places.
1: Even when we feel empty, even when we feel we don't have enough, we have to remember that we need to remain open to what life has to offer us. Because we can take situations that are less than ideal, and we can be able to find who we are in those places,
2: trust in who we are in those places, and, and move through in a way that shows us more about how we're made rather than just finding a meaning in all of that.
1: So often, so often when we talk about emptiness, is it just surrounded by fear? And it leaves us in a position that when we are responding out of fear, we end up becoming people that are very closed. And as a friend of mine, I remember talked about years ago when I was listening to, to him share, but my friend John talked about the significance of an open hand versus a closed hand. And I remember him talking about how an open hand can receive.
2: There's newness. There's, there's things that, that it is open to experience, receive, and, and hold. As we're walking through life, but also we can go through lives with a closed hand that is there by fear.
1: And that closed hand is one of scarcity, where we try to grab onto all we have. Uh, A closed hand can also be the idea that we have lost the ability to deal with the situation and we may end up acting out in violence
2: with that closed hand. But so much of the mysteries that we walk through. In this journey of faith, so many of these mysteries that we experience should lead us to realizing that we need to be open. We need to be aware of what's happening around us,
1: and we need to be open to how life is changing around us and how we need to be able to respond to that. Emptiness happens when we can oftentimes fall into a place where we are ending up navel gazing and only caring about our own needs. And emptiness oftentimes also is an emotional response to things that are happening outside and around us. But we need to remember that we are in control of our emotions, we're in control of who we are, and we are in control of how we react
2: and we respond to these given types and situations. And one of the things that we must cling to is that today, is not the last word. Whatever's happened today, whatever you've gone through, it's not the last word on you. That there is more. That there is more of life to embrace, to experience, to walk through. Because too often I
1: feel like the we, we, we find ourselves in places where we, especially as we're, we're aging, we can begin to say, like, I've been there, I've done that, I've already seen it, I already know how this is going to end. But as we journey through life, as we journey through faith, we begin to realize that we are different people as we move forward. And sure, we have learned things. And sure, we hopefully are finding ways to exit situations that are toxic to us, exit situations that we have been hurt in the past with. But we've got to be able to exit those situations, take the knowledge with us, leave the baggage behind, and move forward.
2: Into this emptiness that's really just mystery. And in that regard, in that regard, you can begin to see emptiness as an invitation into the mystery because we don't know what we'll find there. And as Paul Tillich put it, the courage
1: to be is rooted in the God who appears when
2: God has disappeared in the anxiety of doubt. Keep going. You've got this. Trust yourself. Trust your experiences. Trust where you've been. And trust that tomorrow will offer you new chances and new opportunities.
1: But that's all I've got this week. And before I send you off, just a reminder to share the show, subscribe, and give Snarky Faith a review over on Apple Podcasts helps get the word out to new listeners. And if you want to reach me directly, hit me up at Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T, at snarkyfaith.com. Thank you for being a part of this show week after week. I appreciate you. And as I release you out into this wild, wide world, I send you out with the holiest amount of grace and peace and snark. I'm out of here. Catch you guys again next week. Peace. Be with you. Hey there. Thanks for hanging out after the show. And I wanted to tell you a little story that has nothing to do with anything, but I'll rope it back in to why you're still hanging out here after the show. All right. So lately, I think I'd mentioned uh, on the show a little while back that it, it, we had gone through the process of, we live in an, an old house from the 19 built in the 1950s and recently replaced windows in the house. Because Because before, we could not open the windows because they were all painted shut from years and years and years of painting. And they were brittle. And to jostle them too much would make them fall apart. So, needless to say, spring season, new windows, new experiences. It's been great. Like, in the South, the weather's been great. Being able to have the windows open are fantastic. And because of the pandemic, my wife is still working from home, telecommuting. And she works in our kind of kitchen slash den area and has taken to feeding squirrels that like to hang out near our windows. Now it's been a it's been a fun process of being able to feed them, but we also are realizing that they that they now start to come and they like they expect it. They want more. They they
2: they expect what They've been given. And and, and the sad news is we've we've also noted this. We've been
1: feeding them stuff. We're like, oh my God,
2: they're getting fatter.
1: But either way, either
2: way, we've been feeding feral animals and they're hanging around. And I know if you're listening to this part of the show,
1: you're kind of like one of those feral animals and I'm a little bit worried about. I'm a little bit worried about you're hanging around because you expect good old Stuart to give you... More Christian crazy at the end of the show I know, I know, I know I must have done this with Expectations and leaving little Treats out like the squirrels So fine I'm assuming you are As adorable as the squirrels that we like To feed and watch every day So fine Here is your Christian cringe Of the week
4: Christian cringe No, God, please, no No
1: So just to note here that Robin Bullock, Robin Bollocks is someone that I, I just can't quit. I can't quit you, Robin. I can't quit you. You're just too damn crazy. So yes, if you ever had any doubt in your mind
2: that Robin Bollocks was crazy, well, well, this is just for you. And I leave you
1: here with the cringiest thing that I've heard all week. You should also have a great week. So, I leave you with this, dear listener.
0: Let me tell you something. If George Soros starts saying that Putin is evil and doing all of this, and George Soros is saying it, something is wrong. Something's terribly wrong. You're talking about Job of the Hut, man. You're talking about somebody, you're talking about somebody who runs the biggest crime syndicate and organization in the entire world. You're talking about people who can take over nations, overthrow kings, replace them with their own. You're talking about somebody who moved into the most powerful free nation on the face of the planet and moved in with their cronies, rolled buses in that came from him, set out foot soldiers called started setting people out like that, BLM and all of this began to do what they did, and you saw somebody like this with that much money, that much power, hold a conference of a fight back table, brought all of the Republicans in he wanted, all the Democrats in he wanted, and worked out every war strategy during the election, and took, and in front of everybody just walked over and took something and said, this is mine. And nobody even resisted it and perpetrated the greatest lie on the American people we have ever seen and and then pulled down a duly elected POTUS, pulled down the duly elected one. And put up some kind of jackal, snake-eyed somebody in the seat, and set them up there, and start calling for these all these ridiculous things. Has one vice president they call him who just does this, <laughs> whoa, and just pushes their hair back and don't know what they're doing. And people say, well, it's not a laughing matter. You dad gum right, it's not a laughing matter. If it was, if it wasn't so pathetic. We would laugh about it. I'm not trying to be funny. I know you're not trying to be funny, but you are, boo. Look at what you did.
1: You
2: were friggin' hilarious.
1: All right. Catch you guys next week. Peace. Be with you.